Welcome to the Theotech Podcast, a show where we bear witness to how God is using technology to fulfill the scriptures. I'm your host, Chris Lim, and today I'm joined by my friend, Billy Davis, who is the founder of a makerspace called The Fab Lab in Tacoma, Washington. Today, we're going to talk about how his company has been able to respond to COVID-19 by creating nearly 4,000 face shields and 600 3D printed face masks for medical workers. We also talk about his entrepreneurial journey and what churches can learn from makerspace culture. Billy, thank you for joining the show. Hey, glad to be here. I know you, Billy, from the Created to Create nonprofit here in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And I think that when we first met, I was really amazed that you had a company that was providing this 3D printing services for other people and that people could come in and use those machines and implement their designs and all these other really cool things. Can you tell us more about how FabLab got started, uh, what inspired you and where it's come to today? So we started FabLab about nine or 10 years ago. So it was Steve Tibbetts and I, who was, he's actually my godfather. So we grew up in the church together and I actually grew up with his, with his kids. His kids are about the same age as, as me. And so um, he was a mentor for me. He was always into technology projects and things. Um, I remember going over to his house to visit his kids and he'd be tinkering away in the garage. When I say tinkering, it's not just, you know, taking apart stuff. It's like he had an electric car he was building in his, wow. in his garage using a drivetrain from a, from an electric bus and, you know, things like that. He, he built a, he built a drone. He was a, you know, a pilot and uh, just always busy with stuff. That Christmas, I saw that 3D printers were starting to hit the mainstream because some patents expired. Stratasys mm. um, had a few patents. And prior to, to that year, 3D printers were fifty dollars to $100,000. So they weren't really obtainable for your average. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, when the patents expired, a little company um, called MakerBot came out. And they started shipping a kit for a do-it-yourself 3D printer. Mm. And so this little 3D printer was, I think it was on sale 600 bucks. And as soon as that went up, I said, Steve, we got to get this. Let's go in together. Let's do this thing. It'd be a cool project. And we got the little kit. And I remember uh, Christmas day going over to his house and having a kit of wood laser cut wood panels and about a thousand little mini screws and circuitry mm. spread all over his front floor and we put that together kind of like an elect uh, an erector set and mm. so that was kind of the start of it um, once we got it up and working the first thing you print in 3d printing well it used to be is a little stanford bunny so a little tiny bunny just to see how how high resolution you can get out of it so we printed a little bunny and kind of at that moment, we looked at each other and said, you know, 3D printing is, is becoming more accessible, but people haven't heard about it. I think we can do this as a service in Tacoma. Okay. And so we uh, got some money together and um, along with some of his family and um, actually our, our uh, pastor, and we put in some money to the business and basically found a spot in Tacoma and opened our doors as a, as a makerspace. All within, gosh, all within about a span of a year and a half, we, we spun it up pretty quick, so... Wow. So your pastor became an investor is what you said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that was just kind of an interesting, interesting dynamic. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we were all, it was Steve, um, his son, and eventually his son-in-law and me. So all, uh, all people of faith. And that was just through, through kind of a mutual, you know, through a mutual connection through the yeah, church. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. It's family, kind of like a family business a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. I will say the family business part comes with its own unique challenges and struggles, but, but yeah, so we've been at it for, like I say, so close to 10 years and wow. the business has changed and evolved over time. I think right now where we are is we have a couple revenue streams. And so the first one is the makerspace model. And for those who aren't familiar with the makerspace, it's a community workspace where think of it kind of like a gym membership, but a gym membership for nerds and kind of do it yourselfers. And so instead of treadmills and weightlifting stuff, you get a laser, you get to learn to weld or you get, you know, to 3D print stuff. And so that model, you pay a monthly fee, you come in, you get to use the, um, the tools and equipment and uh, you take classes with that. So there's that model. That's our main revenue stream. Mm-hmm. And the second part is we act as a service bureau to local businesses. So say you own a business and you wanted a big wood sign. Um, for some kind of pub you're opening. And so we would design that up. We'd cut it out on our big router and paint it and finish it um, and deliver that for mm. you as well. Third, we have kind of the educational model. So typically makerspaces hold classes and they charge for those classes. So if you want to learn more about 3D printing or say you wanted to learn how to program a Raspberry Pi or put together a um, you know a small robot that follows ball or something, we could get you those parts. And, and as part of that service, we would we would uh, get you a class um, that yeah. kind of encompasses that that whole build, and so those are kind of our three our three revenue streams uh, up until COVID. So yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, when you described the makerspace as a gym, but for making all these things, I the nerd in me was like, oh, I wish that existed when I was a kid because it's just like that sounds like the most fun place that I could ever hang out. You know, like way more fun than going doing weightlifting. Like this would be awesome to be able to make stuff print things out and like try out this laser and cut a design out like just even learning how to use the tools to do that kind of design like I realized I'm not as literate in those tools I'm, I'm a coder you know I'm not as good at doing that kind of 3d design and all that work oh man it sounds so fun this is a random question that maybe we'll get to back again later but like with your pastor being part of it did he ever get inspired to say you know what maybe our church should try to do some of this stuff or make this accessible to people and you know let them make stuff create stuff you know, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> I think we, in that sense, we we kind of wanted to keep. I don't know if it's two separate, like the two separate, but we didn't want to. We didn't want to kind of commingle commingle that too much. I mean, yeah, we would, you know, we we would help out. We would do projects for the church and things like that. But we didn't want to. We didn't want to. We just made the decision that we didn't want to really mix mix the two uh, mix the two communities. Mm-hmm. I think mostly because of sort of the the clientele. So a lot of people that you get in the makerspace just are they tend to be the more and I don't I don't want to put this wrong, but they tend to be the more just academic. And so very like I wouldn't say it's a strong faith community. Yeah. And so just having that, you know, we were able to witness by a lot of the projects we were doing or by one-on-one conversations as you got to know people, mm. but you didn't really want to make the the direct um, connection, I think to, you know, in order that we don't don't really scare, you know, scare people away or anything like that. Oh, so. I see. Yeah. So it kind of would impact your, your market in some ways. You, it felt like it could impact your market. Cause I think that that's interesting. Many churches have, for example, coffee shops and there's, you don't really have to have a Christian coffee shop. There's ways that they kind of include their faith in what they do, but it's just like a community space and whoever in the community can be part of it. And I can see that playing out with the makerspace too. It's, you know, it's not necessarily a Christian makerspace, but you have Christians there and Christians who run it and own it and you're providing a service for the community and that creates opportunities uh, indirectly and maybe just relationally to share faith. So I get that. And that's another interesting thing we can dive into. But before we do, let's go ahead and talk about how you've been, your business has been impacted by COVID-19. What's, what's going on now? 
Um, so the funny thing is, um, I was actually, I was actually working on a, right before this, I was working on my, I'm in, I'm in an MBA program. So uh, as part of my program, I, I have to write up a paper on sort of the dynamics of, of entrepreneurship and teams. And mm. so I was just going through this in my head, you know, putting it down on paper for this assignment that I have to do. But timely, we, yeah, timely as everything is, I guess. So everything that we've done up until this point has followed kind of those three, those three models. Part of the reason why we chose um, our location in Tacoma is because of the proximity to the University of Washington in Tacoma. Mm. And the key was sort of getting involved with them, help support us financially. And the deal that we had with them, I think we've had it for about six years or so, was that they would use our facility and our tools to host for a class. And so they would hold a, um, a programming and basically a mechanical engineering class using our facility because they had everything there. Um, I believe the class was how to make anything. And so by <laughs> the end of the semester, you would get to, you have learned all the, all the uh, pieces of equipment that we had and all the materials. And then the students would come up with a little project or invention or, or, you know, some kind of showcase for their paper. Oh man, that's And so, fun. so we held that class for years at a time and that revenue stream was, you know, probably two thirds of our, of our operating income. Okay. And so where we were hit was actually right before COVID. So the university decided to not renew our, our contract with them. Mm. And so we were actually reeling from that, you know, suddenly losing, losing that much um, of your operating income was huge. And we were kind of, kind of at the end of our, at the end of our rope here, we had begun to um, sort of downscale mm. our staff and everything and right up through, through Christmas. And then we were starting to gather a little bit of steam, but we had talked about instead maybe focusing on education. And so we knew that we were good at education, that we had held some we'd held those classes. But the idea was how can we bring that education to a wider audience, not just not just uh, the students at the University of Washington, mm -hmm. but locally, even you know even globally, if we were to start doing online classes. Mm -hmm. And earlier you touched on kind of the idea that sort of mixing nonprofit and for-profit and kind of making that distinction. Well, up until this point, we were functioning as a for-profit um, mm -hmm. entity. And whenever we got hit so hard from this, we started to have those conversations of, gosh, you know, if we're going to focus on education, maybe we should really look at the, the nonprofit route. Mm -hmm. And so although we had um, lost most of our staff, we started to look at opportunities for nonprofit. And whenever we did that, we said, Gosh, you know, nonprofits are, you can get grants and things like that if you're a nonprofit versus a for-profit. So mm -hmm. it started to make financial sense because the city at that point had a number of grants available. There was a lot of private grants available as well, but they were all for nonprofits and they were all for education. So oh, okay. as the wheels started turning, we said, okay, like maybe we should look at converting this thing and, and kind of spinning up this, this nonprofit side. To bring it all around, like I said, we were we were really heavily hit. We were reorganizing during Christmas, and just saying, "Hey guys, are we going to pull the plug on this thing? Or are we going to, you know, are we going to keep going the education route and just keep wow. exploring the nonprofit?" And then February, March, COVID happened. <laughs> yeah, and you know, a lot of times it just seems one thing after another. And so, what COVID did to us <laughs> was. We had just spun up a contract to do um, some in-person classes for 3D design and 3D printing. Well, Washington State had some measures in place where basically if you're a non-essential business, 
you couldn't be open. Mm-hmm. And with social distancing, even if we were open, mm-hmm. teaching classes in our shop would be impossible. Yeah. And so we were left with, you know, hey, we're, we're just maybe a glimmer of hope that we're going to get this thing started up again. And suddenly we're shut down. Mm-hmm. After that, we, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, I guess this is it. And so as we were getting ready to, to spin down again for the second time, um, we started to see that there was a critical need for uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, from local hospitals. It turns mm. out that the supply chains were broken mm. since China was so hard hit with, with COVID and they were locked down. Mm-hmm. There was an issue of the, the regular suppliers not able to get or produce um, things like face masks and face shields and gowns and, and stuff like that. And so what happened almost overnight was there was this groundswell of, of activity from the maker community. Mm. So little, little fab labs, little hacker spaces, even, you know, your guy with a laser cutter in his, his, his garage, were all working together and said, hey, there's a need out here. How can small scale manufacturing help? Mm-hmm. And so we got keyed into that just through being on some of the forums and active in some of the communities. And we ended up getting a, um, a file for a 3D printed mask. I have one. Oops. Let me this back here. This is a Montana mask. And so this is a 3D printed face mask. And it is designed to be reusable. You see this little filter comes out here. Mm-hmm. And what this does is this acts as a essentially a face mask multiplier. Mm. Let me explain that a little bit. So this one face mask, because it's reusable, it's sterilizable. You can wipe it down with um with a sterilizing solution. Um, I believe you can also autoclave this as well. Mm. But the big thing for this is that one of these little squares can be cut out of an N95 mask. And from one N95 mask, you can get six little squares. Okay. They are essentially reusable. So one N95 mask can be used essentially mm-hmm. six times with this, mm-hmm. as opposed to throwing them away each time, the entire mask each time. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we got this. Uh, I downloaded files and started printing away and said, hey, Guys, this could be something. I mean, if we're going to go out, we might as well go out helping people. I said, you know, Mm -hmm. let's see what we can do um, while we're still around. And so we started 3D printing the masks. And yeah, I mean, that became sort of our our major, our major uh, production here over the past, uh, over the past couple months. So Mm -hmm. that push to print these masks, was that all funded by donors? Or you guys are just donating like basically what you have remaining to be able to help out the hospitals? Yeah, so we we actually had about probably about four thousand dollars in acrylic uh-huh. left over, and you know we had some random rolls of three D printing fil- filament and stuff, and we started using the filament that we had on hand to um, to print these, and just ended up donating um, what we could. We were just cranking them out as fast as we can, getting them out to whoever whoever we could, um, but it was mainly sort of the the first responders. Yeah, with the acrylic, you know, we talked about how. It can be inspiring, right? Whenever you come in and you have all these machines at your disposal. Yeah. You know, I often joke, um, I mean, you've met my wife and she would get upset with me because I would go into Starbucks or I'd go into Ikea or something and I'd start touching the art on the walls and I'd start flipping tables over and I'd see something interesting in a bookstore, you know, in a bookshelf or something. I'd start looking at it, see how it's made. Yeah. 
I suddenly have access to all these, all these machines and, and methods and things. And I look at something and I'm like, this is $300. I'm like, I can do this for 20. And so, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. figuring out, how, you know, I'm taking little measurements with my, with my phone and stuff to figure out how to, how to construct yeah. something. And so that carries over in terms of the, this response, because we said, gosh, you know, 3d printing takes a long time. Um, these take a couple hours to print on the 3d printer that we have currently mm -hmm. and so i said is there some kind of way that we can utilize some of the other tools to to make ppe faster it doesn't have to be a mask but maybe it can be you know maybe it can be a visor or something yeah and so yeah so we with that and we found a face shield um i don't have one here but we found a face shield design and it was originally designed to be 3d printed but we looked around and we saw some files that people were working on and, and we collaborated with them to make a laser cut face shield. Ah. And the laser allowed us to output uh, 25 to 30 at a time. And that was a way we were able to use other equipment that we had at our disposal to join in the PPE. Okay. So just to make it clear, basically you had the printers, but those were slow and could only do so much. And so you had other equipment, this laser cutting that you needed a different tech. You could use a different kind of technique to create PPE. And that way you're at capacity, running at capacity of all of that. Yeah. So basically we're running, both systems are running simultaneously. We had the 3D printers printing and the lasers cutting. And, and the cool thing about sort of this, this makerspace environment is that iterations and tests can happen all, almost instantaneously. So hmm. if we discovered, a, we discovered a flaw in one of the laser cut files where it had like a little notch that somebody hadn't noticed in it um, that made it slightly uncomfortable. And so because we we were able to change on the fly. We were able to go into the file, edit it immediately, print out a test, fit it. And then if that fit worked, we would implement it in the rest of the batch going forward. Yeah. Same thing with 3D printing. I mean, this, so this mass design came from uh, Brazil, I believe originally, hmm. and then was refined in Montana. Wow. And so that's why they call this Montana mask. <clears throat> that's fascinating. Cause I come from the world of software engineering. We have something called agile methodology. Yep. And how we build software rather than the old waterfall way where you have a problem statement, you design, and then after that you build the software and it could take you like a year. And by the time you built it, it was the, the needs of the business have changed. And so you're, you're, what you built is actually off, off target and you end up wasting a lot of money and then trying to retrofit that and everything else. But then as software became more agile, where you can ship out software very fast, like through the internet, rather than having to have shrink wrap software it shifted to this model where you can make all these iterations and incremental improvement and to the point where you have like Amazon and Google and stuff, just ship, shipping like software or Facebook being like, you know, <laughs> a thousand deployments a day or whatever like that, constantly iterating on the feedback loop. And to see that possible in the physical realm, not the digital realm, but the physical realm with 3d printing and things like that, where you can make a design and iterate on it so fast. That's amazing to think about all the possibilities there. And then you're thinking about going to Ikea and taking pictures and measurements and everything like that. Like that's, it makes so much sense. It's like, I can make this myself for way cheaper. You know, like, And the other topic that you mentioned about this design that gets iterated on from Brazil to Montana, uh, this open information sharing. I'm assuming that these designs are open, like Creative Commons license or something. So there's nobody saying that, no, you can't print this. Because there was a whole scandal kind of where that company that makes ventilators was trying to ban people who were making an open design or something like that, or trying to replace the part with 3D printing because um, of copyright and intellectual property issues. So is that the case? It's very open licensed and yeah, I, just these things come to mind as we talk about it. You know, it's, it's interesting having the ability to make all these iterations of things. I think that, and you'll find you have to watch it as well though, because I think you have multiple, multiple constraints here. And so 
I would say it's the ability to experiment quickly and to 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 make a different iteration if it doesn't work is important. But I think it's really easy to get caught in sort of the the fail forward where oh. you're just gonna keep you know hey, we're just gonna we're just gonna throw spaghetti at this wall and see what sticks and you know we're just gonna make it work somehow try something wacky and make it work right because now with COVID and sort of the rapid expansion of the the maker movement and and just there's so much information out there it is really tempting to have everybody start making you know their own version of a mask or their own version of a face shield mm-hmm. and not only do you have the time constraint now where you don't have time to make 50 different iterations yeah even though the technology is there but since you're dealing with medical equipment there has to be some communication right and so the way testing works is that you can't have 50 different iterations. You have to pick one or two yep. because there needs to be some, some baseline of consistency in these. And so that's, what's so interesting about this environment. Like it has to be, it's, you have everything at your, at your disposal, but you have to limit yourself. And mm-hmm. essentially we had to limit our company to, to really just like picking one or two things that we're really good at refining that and then communicating that with the, with, you know, with other, other places that we're working with. So I guess the theme is, do you see this theme of like sort of expanding and contracting and right? Mm-hmm. So the business is going well, and then we get, you know, we lose our funding and then we start up again and then it contracts again because, mm-hmm. you know, COVID hit. And it's just this interesting, like expanding and contracting theme that, I don't know, seems to be my life <laughs> at least for now. Yeah. But you know, what you just said sounds like a powerful lesson for entrepreneurship because I've experienced that too. They're just like, there's these seasons where you have to try a lot of ideas out, but you discover that it's overwhelming and you're stretched too thin and you actually have to focus again and yeah. narrow it down to just a couple experiments. And that kind of back and forth is definitely, it is a, it is a theme for sure. Um, and having, but the difference is that the latter requires self-discipline because you're actively making the choice to cut off these other possibilities, which is the word decision, right? Desire to cut off. Whereas prior to this, we didn't even have the choice. When 3D printers didn't exist, when laser cutters didn't, like we couldn't, and we couldn't afford them. It wasn't even an option for us. And so the, the environment has shifted and it requires more discipline on the part of the entrepreneur or the creator, or the maker to make those choices. But it's cool that now we can be the maker. Now you can make your own Ikea bookshelf parts or whatever you want to do, right? Uh, it's just so, it's so cool to have that even possibility. Uh, that we didn't have before. Um, but yeah, I think I wanted to wrap it up maybe thinking through what you see kind of for the future. Do you see kind of small manufacturing becoming just more and more widespread where we're going to be, you know, using using these kinds of techniques to like create the things that we have in our homes? Do you see it continuing to be kind of a niche thing that's just useful right now in the midst of COVID-19? You know, do you see some connections also more broadly, which is something that we're about with the Theotech podcast, Second Reformation, where like, I think that as a result of COVID-19, churches have the opportunity really to lean into a very different model, which is more like the makerspace model, where it becomes a platform for other people to use their gifts, to try out ideas, right? To experiment, to see what it looks like to integrate their faith and their work. And by making it this space, where people can come, you can invite a community into it rather than a, 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 like a program or a product or a show, you get a very different kind of outcome. And so those are, the, those are the things that I know I don't have a specific question here, but kind of ideas to bring to the table and see like, what do you see coming down the line and what might be possible for the future? Well, I think the first thing in all of this is that it's amazing to me how vast people's talents are and how vast people's specializations are. I mean, you know, we are all beautifully crafted, right? Mm-hmm. And so just being able to run into people that 
they have a specialty in woodworking and they have a specialty in 3D printing or somebody is great at programming. It's interesting to see, well, first on a global scale, how the maker community comes together and they're saying, well, hey, I don't know anything about vacuum forming, but I do know 3D printing. Like that's my, that's my jam. And so to be able for people to be able to use their, their talents in a specific way, but yet harmoniously and collaboratively mm. with everybody else around the world is, is amazing. I mean, I think about that as well whenever I go to, uh, so I've been leading uh, mission trips to, to Mexico for the last 20 years mm. on the church. And it's been amazing to grow that community and see, see how that community has evolved and changed over the time. But every year we bring down people who say, gosh, you know, I don't know how God's going to use me because I can't swing a hammer. Yeah. Or, I can't do drama or, you know, I, this is, this isn't my thing. I'm totally out of my element, but in both situations, we see that God works within us to use, you know, not the things that, that, that we necessarily uh, think we, we, we can't do, but he uses the things. I mean, he grows us in the areas that we need to grow and he utilizes the talents that we may not even know we have for the, for the greater good. And so, to be able to see that in both the mission field and in this is, is amazing. Mm. I think beyond that, just the, just the, the sense of, I don't want to say it's empowerment, but it's the sense of the little guy being able to make a change yeah. is really important in this. Mm. I think a lot of people get lost. I mean, gosh, I work, my day job is I work for Costco. I mean, it's an organization with 140,000 employees. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to be in an environment where you can feel lost at times, I think COVID has has made us sort of reevaluate the the individual, and not a bad way. Mm -hmm. I think it has forced us to say, you know, what are my what are my strengths? What are my interests? Like, how how am I making a difference? Mm. So in the in the makerspace movement, it's interesting that the world is now seeing that the individual can make a difference mm. because we've pushed and said, Hey guys, it wasn't big business that, you know, got PPE out the door. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't Apple. It wasn't Tesla. It wasn't the big guys. Mm -hmm. Whenever there was a call, the local maker, your regular guy in a garage mm -hmm. was able to come to the call and make PPE and to respond quickly. Mm. And so there was before there was this there was this idea that gosh 3d printers and makers were all just a bunch of nerds making pokemon and mm -hmm. making baby yodas all over the place and you know and just making <laughs> little trinkets and doodads right yeah. but the thing is though is that now this is 3d printing's prime time i mean no longer is it baby yoda it's now ppe it's mm -hmm. now things that are saving lives mm -hmm. and so I just think that, that, that that's amazing. Where do I see it going? I think that now that people have acknowledged sort of the, the role and the, the function of 3D printing, the role of the maker, the role of collaboration, I think it's just a great platform to build on from here. I think you'll see a lot of moves towards leaning on small business instead of big business in the future. Mm. I see funding, I see grants, I see other opportunities opening up for people that have that idea that just haven't had the motivation or haven't had the, the connections mm -hmm. to implement something uh, for entrepreneurs. I think people are now starting to, they'll start taking a chance once we, once we start to open up again. Yeah. The context has changed. The value of this kind of smaller work is being experienced by people firsthand. Definitely. It's going to 
yeah, it's going to shake everything up. And I didn't notice that what you said about the big business versus the small makers and who's coming to the front lines to actually make a difference and help in this season. Yeah, it's a pretty big contrast. Do you think, do you have any thoughts about how that maker space ethos or that mindset of like, we're so empowered, we can make anything and we can experiment and stuff, how that could also influence our, our churches and kind of faith communities? Like how would it, what would it take for that kind of vibe to be transmitted? Cause I don't, I, I sometimes get that vibe, but it's very rare. And I think that it's very actually God given it's being made in God's image. And as you said, kind of God's workmanship, zealous for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. It's very empowering. It's uh, you know, but that, that <laughs> feeling, it's like you feel it more readily in the makerspace. Yeah. And like I say, I, I think, you know, it is difficult now with, with social distancing and stuff like that, but I just think about, about the people we pass by, you know, I, my, my church congregation was, was, you know, 1200 people. Mm. I say was, I, I've actually been going to church in Ireland oh, yeah, <laughs> whenever yeah. I for school. But, um, but the interesting thing is that we don't take enough time to get to know the people around us, the people in our faith community. Mm. You know, it's very, it's very uh, surface level. I, I would think, I mean, mm. your faith may be incredibly deep, but I think that whenever you meet people on Sunday, you go up and you shake hands and say, how are you doing? And then, you know, yeah. until next next week and you really don't know them but god has given us so many talents and and just so much depth of character that it's it's a shame that we don't get to tap into that mm-hmm. you know people may be may be willing to serve but are they are we are we as a church using them in the areas where they get fulfillment mm-hmm. Are we using them in areas where they can teach and they can grow? Yeah. I mean, you know, you may volunteer to be a door greeter or you may get voluntold to be a door greeter. <laughs> but, uh, but, and, I'm, and I'm not saying there's not a value in that, but how much more impactful would we be if we took some time to speak to the 60-year-old man or woman um, who's the door greeter and said, hey, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do in your retirement? Like what, what are your passions? Mm-hmm. And then if we would put them, so say they were, say were they're an auto mechanic or something like that, mm-hmm. right? They may have 40 years as an auto mechanic and we've got them as a door greeter. Mm-hmm. If we tapped into that and said, Hey, Susan, tell me about being an auto mechanic. Like a ministry may come out of that where suddenly you're changing oil for, you know, people's spouses that are deployed. You're teaching kids how to um, wrench on a car. Mm-hmm. You're taking out, you know, college students who have just got their license and presumably without uh, any drivers, <laughs> real world drivers test. Um, you're taking those those college kids out to practice driving lessons with them. You're teaching. Mm-hmm. You're taking them out and telling them how to change a tire. Mm-hmm. So I think that we are underutilizing the talent of the of the people in our church mm-hmm. and the gifts the people in our church. And I think that that is one of the most important things that, that at least I will take away from this, from this entire experience. Mm -hmm. People have stories, people have faith, people have knowledge and they're open to share it. And if they do, I mean, it's how great an asset is that to, you know, the kingdom, right? Absolutely. What a wonderful way to close out this episode. Billy, thank you so much for doing this podcast and for the work that you're doing to help our frontline workers with PPE And uh, yeah, just praying for you and your company and just so grateful to know you. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to the Theotech Podcast. If you'd like to support Billy's work providing masks and PPE for medical workers, we've included a link to his GoFundMe in this episode's description. I'd also like to thank our patrons for making this podcast possible. 
If you'd like to join us in equipping saints with theology of technology, become a patron at patreon.com theotech. Thank you, and until next time.